Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. Awesome, awesome. All right, today we'll be reading from Matthew 17, 1 to 13. Matthew 17, 1 to 13. If you have your pew Bible with you, you can open to page 822, 822. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking to him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at the hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of God. Amen. Who is Jesus? Have you given much thought to that question? Is he just another man to you? Think about it. We're all gathered here this morning, worshiping a man who never had a political office, never ruled any nation, never commanded any armies. What makes him so significant, so inescapable? For even over 2,000 years, we are still being reminded of him. If you pay attention, you are still being confronted with the question of who he is. We are beginning a new Easter series titled Prophet, Priest, and King, where we will answer the question of who is this man called Jesus? Today we will behold Jesus as our prophet. On Good Friday we will behold Jesus as our priest. And on Easter Sunday, we would behold Jesus as our resurrected king. See, I'm convinced that once you truly know who this man is, there's only one thing that's left to do. To submit to him in full worship. Today's sermon is titled, Behold Our Prophet Jesus. I have a pretty simple outline for you today. Point one up the mountain, point two, 
on the mountain and point three, down the mountain. Like a true Baptist pastor. <laughs> point one, up the mountain. Verse one. It says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Let's talk about what happened six days prior before going up this mountain. We learn in Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they responded to him, some say one of the prophets or Elijah or one of the, John the Baptist. Jesus then looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? Peter then confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus then transitions from having a conversation about who he is to about what he has came to do. In chapter 16, verse 21 and 23, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be, on the, and be resurrected on the Thursday. Then you have Peter saying, come here, Jesus, let me talk to you. That's not going to happen. He rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And tells him that you are not setting your minds on things above, but you're setting your mind on things on earth. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and, and take up his cross and, and follow me. Even if that meant death. And he says, for what would it profit a man if he, if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul. Jesus ends this conversation by saying, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And six days later, you had him going up this mountain where we pick up in our text in Matthew 17, verse 1. Jesus takes with him three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, his brother, up a mountain. These three men seem closer than the other nine disciples. They are seen with him when he heals Jairus' daughter, and later in Jesus' ministry at the, uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, he instructs them to, to watch and pray, but he later finds them asleep. See, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he also had these three men whom he trusted, and who were close to him. Do you have spiritual friends in your life? People that you can share the most intimate moments of your life with? Jesus takes these three brothers up the mountain. The Bible doesn't say which mountain they, this is, but we know that it's in Galilee, so it's not Mount Sinai. Important things usually happen on mountains in the Bible, don't they? You remember when Abraham took his son Isaac up the mountain? to sacrifice him, but God provided a ram. You guys remember when Moses encountered God on a burning bush? He had to take off his shoes because the ground he was standing on was holy. 
And then years later, you have Moses climbing up that same mountain, receiving the Ten, the ten Commandments. The Lord later spoke to Elijah on Mount Sinai, protecting him, providing for him and his people. You see, since the disciples met Jesus, their life has been a journey of following him to places, not knowing what to expect. Does that describe your life? These three disciples are about to embark on a mountaintop experience that they would never forget. On the mountain. Point two. See, on this mountain, something incredible happens. Jesus is transfigured. And this is where we get the word metamorphosis. Jesus is changed right before their eyes. Jesus is physically transformed. His face is like the sun, and even his clothes are shining like a bright light. Matthew describes Jesus' face as very similar to the face of Moses in Exodus 34, 35. It says, after Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the skin of Moses' face was shining. He would have to put a veil over his face to talk to the Israelites. But when he went back up that mountain, he took that veil off when he spoke to God. You see, Moses' glory came from God. But did you notice Jesus did not ask God to show him his glory? Jesus' glory was within. He didn't need to ask for it. You know why? Because he is God in human flesh. Jesus has taken off his veil and his disciples is beholding his glory. You see, the one who was in the form of God, he, he veiled himself. This is the one who emptied himself by becoming obedient. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is our prophet. This is our priest. This is our king. See, the word transfiguration only used uh, in two other places in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Church, when we behold the glory of Jesus Christ, we are being transformed into the same image of Christ. One degree of glory to another. We are, we are changed not by controlling our behavior, not by setting up these, these standards that we set for ourselves, not by a, a list of do's and don'ts. We are transformed by focusing all of our attention on the glory of Jesus Christ. It's by worshiping him, finding him to be our greatest treasure. You see, all spiritual growth, all spiritual transformation begins and ends with us at the feet of Jesus, gazing at his beauty and his resting in his love. Paul uses again in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you may discern with the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewal of our minds is what transforms us. The only way that our minds can be renewed is when we are listening to our prophet Jesus. 
when our minds are taking in all that he is and all that he says. We are being transfigured for his service and for his kingdom. So let me ask you, what are you beholding this morning? What are you looking at? Is it your smartphone? Is it your television? You see the glory that, that, that Jesus put on display? He didn't, he didn't receive it by, because of the light that's on his phone. He, he received it because he is God himself. We need to look at him. Not, not in the mirror. Don't look at yourself. You, you know. You know you're flawed. You don't have to be convinced of that. But guess what? When you look at Jesus, you are transfigured. When you look at Jesus, everyone look at yourself, take good, 10 good glances at Christ. Because once you do it, you'll become more like him. That's how we renew our minds. It's not, being, it's not us focusing on our careers, how gifted we are, how terrible we are. See, I'm convinced that once, that what we really need, what we really need is a good look at Christ. Every morning, every day, not just every week when we gather here, Is that why you came to church this morning? Or, or is this another check on your list? Did you come to behold the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, our prophet? Church, we, what we desperately need is him. We don't need another prep talk. You don't need me standing up here saying that you can move any mountain in your life. What you need me to tell you is that you have a Savior that loves you. And he accepts you just the way you are. And when you come to him, when you run to him, he's going he's to embrace you and love you and change you. Despite what this week looked like for you. Do you believe that? Jesus takes his friends up a high mountain to, to show them a glimpse of who he is. To reveal his glory and beauty. Take a look at who, at who shows up. In verse 3, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. If only we knew what they were talking about. The question I have is, why these two men? Why not Adam and Abraham or Jacob and David or Noah? What do these two men represent? We have Moses on the scene. If you have been here at Grace for a little while, we've been studying this brother, haven't we? He is the one who met God on Mount Sinai by a burning bush, who became an ambassador, a representative for God's people to lead them out of slavery from Egypt, who received the law of God on Mount Sinai. You see, Moses, he's the one that wrote the first five books of our Old Testament, the Torah or the Pentateuch. He is well known as one of the greatest prophets who, who brought us God's law in the meteor of the old covenant. With the promises of if you do good, you will be blessed. And if you disobey, you will be cursed. You see, Elijah is also on the scene. He's another well-known prophet in the Old Testament. He's the one who turned God's people away from worshiping false gods to the one true God. 
You see, a prophet's primary function in the Old Testament was to represent God and deliver his word to his people. You see, true prophets never spoke from their own authority or their own opinions. They only spoke from the very authority of God and the very opinions of God. These two men represent the Old Testament scripture, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Genesis through Malachi. You see, after Jesus' resurrection, in Luke chapter 24, two of his disciples are on this road called Emmaus. And guess who shows up? The resurrected Jesus. And he's listening to their conversation. He's seeing that they're sad. The one that they have hoped that would deliver them, the prophet, mighty in word and deed, he was condemned to death, crucified. They had hope that he was the one that's going to rescue them. You know what Jesus said? He spoke up. In verses 25 and 27, he said this. He said, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All of the scriptures point to this man who was just transformed right in front of his disciples. This whole book, this whole book is about him. It all whispers his name. Every story, every law, every song. The law and the prophets pointed towards a deliverer, a redeemer, a prophet, a priest, and a king. That's how Jesus. Take a look at how Peter responds in verse 4. Peter said, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish... I will make three tents, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. You can tell he's afraid. He doesn't know what to say. Actually, Mark's account in chapter 9, he actually tells us that he didn't know what to say because they were terrified. It's hard not to be sympathetic to Peter's fear. He's a brother that we all can relate to. He always puts his foot in his mouth, doesn't he? There's every reason for, for them to be afraid, to believe that it's unsafe to be there. You see, you remember in the book of Exodus, they weren't allowed to even touch the base of the mountain, lest they die. The Israelites were even warned not to touch it. And anytime that there's a mountain and there's a bright shining light that's glowing, stay away from it, right? So of course these brothers are afraid. But Peter's fear gave me this idea of making tents for these men. See, Peter is making a mistake that we all make. He puts Jesus on the same level as everyone else. He's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. See, this is why I think the transfiguration is teaching us that all of the Bible is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the unifying center of the Bible. Every Old Testament book book points towards Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And every New Testament book reflects back to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
You see, here at Grace Baptist Church, we call ourselves a gospel-centered church. Do you know what that means? That means the gospel is at the center of everything that we say and do. The gospel is at the center of every sermon that we preach. If we're not preaching Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Lord, help us. Every class, every Sunday school class, we are teaching about the life, death, and resurrection. Why are we doing that? Because we believe that the gospel is not just the entry into Christianity. It's not like it's kindergarten. It's the whole system. We don't graduate out of the gospel. We don't graduate from Christ. We need him. So if a simple sermon about going up a mountain, on a mountain, and down a mountain can remind you of Jesus Christ, then praise God. Everything we do points to his life, death, and resurrection. See, Peter doesn't understand that Jesus is much more than a prophet. We see this by the way that God the Father interrupts Peter. He interrupts him before he even finishes what he's saying. You see, all of a sudden, there is a bright cloud overshadowing them, and a voice interrupts Peter that is coming from the clouds. And this was the message. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, these were the same words that were heard at Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his ministry. We hear the same affirmation towards the end of his ministry. You see, what separates Jesus from Moses and Elijah is that he is the son of God in human flesh. You see, Jesus again receives that, that verbal affirmation that the Father loves him, that he's pleased with everything that he is doing, everything he's already done. Parents, we have a lot of children in here. Parents, give your child that verbal affirmation that you love them, that you're proud of them. I get it. We're all sinners. But guess what? That same affirmation that Jesus received from his father is the same affirmation that is going to shape and mold the ministry in the lives of our kids. Will you speak that truth over your children? Will you tell them that you love them, that you're proud of them? That they're yours? Kids, I know you're in here. Receive that affirmation from your parents and honor them. Just like Jesus honored his father by doing something that he was called to do, even though it was hard. Kids, I know it's hard to obey your parents, but trusting your Savior Jesus, who took your place on the cross to give you new life. See, Jesus will rely, rely on his father's love that would lead him down the mountain to find a donkey, to ride into Jerusalem, to wave palm branches, and then lead to the cross. The Father tells the disciples to listen to him. Jesus alone must be obeyed. Jesus is God's final prophet. Not the Jehovah Witness that knocked on your door, not the Mormon that knocked on your door, not the news that you guys are reading online, Jesus is the last word of God. We read about this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 3. Listen to the author of Hebrews. 
He tells us, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world, who is the radiance, the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high. Jesus is the prophet in the prophecy. He's the the living word of God who dwelt among us. You see, everything that we need to know about God, his world, and ourselves is found in Jesus Christ. Everything that we want to know about the past, the present, and future is found in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Are you actively listening to Jesus? If you're not a Christian here today, who are you listening to regarding creation? In your mind, who created the universe? What about the question of evil and suffering and sin in our world? Where are you going to answer those questions? Where are you going? Who are you listening to regarding life after death? See, Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, he says this. Moses, he points back to Deuteronomy. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Who is this prophet? It's Jesus. If you are not a Christian here this morning... I have good news for you. It's the, method, it's the message of the prophet Jesus. The message is God has created you in his image for a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. The God who created the universe, he wants you. But the bad news is that, that you have this sinful nature inside of you. That, that, that's the bad news. That in, and because of that sinful nature, you deserve death. And, it, and you, can't, you can't outrun death. You can't be good enough. You can't climb to God. That's terrible news. But here's the good news. There's a savior. He came and he lived a life that you cannot live, which is perfect and excellent. He did that for you. And then he took your place on the cross. He died in your place. He is your way to God through faith in him. It is it's a gift. It's a free gift. You, you cannot earn it. It's by simply believing in Jesus, turning away from your sin and trusting him. That's how you respond. You're saying, Jesus, I need you. I want to listen to you. You are the way to eternal life. Will you do that this morning? You see, after seeing the glory of the Lord and the voice of God, The disciples responded in the only reasonable way. They fall flat on their faces, terrified, until Jesus comes, touches them. What gift of grace is Jesus, our Redeemer? The one who touches us and raises us up. He calms our fears. You see, they look around and they only see Jesus. 
You see, Moses and Elijah have left the scene like two supporting actors in the drama of our redemption. As the curtain falls, the only one who remains at the center stage is Jesus, only Jesus. Is he all you need this morning? Or are you hoping for something else? Better worship music that fits your taste. A more gifted preacher. Someone different in office. Or are you satisfied with Jesus as your prophet, priest, and king? The one who raised you up and calms all your fears and leads you down the mountain. Point three, down the mountain. Take a look at verse nine. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. Notice that Jesus calls what the disciples just experienced a vision. And he calls himself the son of man. See, both of these two words, they should take our minds back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, where there's a lot of strange visions about a son of man that is given authority, dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, and thousands upon thousands of people are serving him. And this kingdom will never end. All of his people shall serve and obey him. If you're a Christian today, that is where you're headed. You're going towards a celestial city. You will share with Christ as heirs of the kingdom of God because of your union with Jesus Christ. You will share with Jesus his eternal glory, his joy and his peace. You see, there's a kingdom that awaits you that will be sin free. There'll be no more evil, no more suffering, a world where death and sorrow are no more. A kingdom of love and purpose where you will share and serve and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for that day? Are you longing for it? Are you ready for your final and complete transfiguration? Come on, my senior saints. Can I get an amen? No more back pains. No more aches. I get it. I know you guys want to see your loved ones, the people that are still here that don't know Jesus. I get that. But remember what Paul says? He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are we gaining? We're gaining the very beauty of Jesus Christ. Where we would, be, where we would see him and be just like him. But the way there is going down the mountain with him. You see, in the Christian life, the way up is down. The way to glory is through suffering. The first thing the disciples asked Jesus after everything they had just experienced is, is why do the scribes say that Elijah have to come? We just saw Elijah. Does this mean that the kingdom is here? The kingdom is now? But these scribes, why do these scribes have such authority? Why, why is that what the disciples are going back to? You see, the religious leaders most likely had the last prophet of the Old Testament on their minds, Malachi. Listen to the last words in our Old Testament scripture from Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, 
lest I come and strike the land with a decree of other destruction. You see, the very next prophet after, after Malachi is John the Baptist, who prepares the way for the Lord. He is later beheaded in, in prison. John the Baptist was the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. John was not Elijah, but John had the very spirit of Elijah, preparing the way for Jesus. You see, John's death is just a foreshadow of Jesus' death. Jesus is teaching his disciples that he is on his way to Jerusalem, where he too will suffer and die. You see, the father told them to listen to him. To take his words, to consider his words, to, to plant them deep in their minds and their hearts. You see, the disciples are learning the way to glory is through suffering and death. They are beginning to understand that the path of Christ, the path of being a disciple, is a path to take up your cross and follow Jesus. It's a life of dying to self. But Christian, we come down that mountain with hope, don't we? We suffer with hope. Our suffering in this life is not meaningless. Jesus' disciples are listening to their prophet as they come down this mountain, headed towards Jerusalem to watch the Son of Man be rejected and despised by many. Jesus knows something that they don't yet understand, that death brings forth life and then into glory, eternal glory. They would soon find out that they would have the same fate as Jesus. As Jesus' disciples, they will also have to face suffering, rejection, and death. They will also experience resurrection and glory. The same is true for you, Christian. You see, the suffering that you are facing is light compared to the glory that's soon to come. Because you are united, united to Jesus Christ. Your suffering isn't meaningless because God is using it to renew you day by day. He's preparing your heart for the glory that's yet to come, where you get to behold your Savior Jesus. Your future transfiguration. So how do we embrace our suffering in this world, in this life? How do we, how do we bear the cross that we're called to carry? It's by listening to our prophet Jesus, who says to you that he loves you, that he's proud of you, and that you can do this through faith in him, by looking to the one who touches you, who tells you to rise up, and to follow him down the mountain. Christian, I know you're suffering. I know life is hard. But can you suffer with hope? Can you wait in faith, knowing that Friday is going to happen, but Sunday is coming? Let's pray. Jesus, you are our prophet. You are the one that we want to listen to. We need your words. 
Where else shall we go, Lord? Where else shall we go? You hold the words of eternal life. God, help us to believe in you, to place our faith in you. God, remind us that that this affliction, this suffering that we're going, to, going with is light compared to the eternal glory that we're soon experience with you. God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. God, I pray that they would turn to you. They would place their faith in you, Jesus. Because you are gentle. You are lowly. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You are the good shepherd. Jesus, you smell like sheep because you're right here with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You are our sure foundation. God, help us to behold your glory. Help us to behold how amazing you are each and every day. Let that be the reason why we can bear our cross because we have hope that you are changing us, you are transforming us, you are transfiguring us into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to keep you at the center of everything we say and do. As we go off to work this week, or we're home with the children, help us to keep you centered. Your life, your death, and your resurrection. Until the day you return, help us to serve you as our one true prophet, priest, and king. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.